Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. It's a gift to be able to worship with you today. Jason Biasi and Jalen are, are good friends, as is their son Will, and they've been so blessed to come to know you, to be among you in this community, and so I, I feel like it's a real privilege to, to be here and, and to be uh, meeting you, most of you, for, for the first time. Uh, between the services, uh, Ross Durant was asking me uh, the question, uh, where are, are you from originally, for Canada or, or, or somewhere else? And I explained that I was born in Japan but I was mostly raised here in Canada, in, in Metro Vancouver. But I ended up marrying someone, I didn't get into all this detail with Ross, um, from Japan. And, and so I'm back on a fairly regular basis. And when I'm back in Japan, and I'm wide awake at you know, 2.30 in the morning because of jet lag, I sometimes wonder to myself, what would my life have been like if we hadn't moved away when I was so young? What if I had not only been born in Japan, but raised here as well? And I think of all the pressure I would have been under to get admitted into the right preschool. <laughs> and all the pressure that would have been on me to pass the exam to get into the right elementary school. And then all the pressure I would have faced to pass the entrance exam for the right junior high and so on, eventually the right university and and then the pressure to be picked up by the right company. And so at 2.30 in the morning or whatever, I breathe a sigh of relief and I say to myself, thank God I wasn't raised in such a relentless rat race. But if I'm honest with myself, having been raised here in Canada, I have not escaped the pressure to achieve. When I was younger, I felt the pressure to achieve in sports and then there was a period where I felt the pressure to achieve in school. I felt the pressure to deliver when I was working in the corporate world. And even as a pastor, I feel this pressure to deliver. That may surprise you, as you may think that pastoring is a less competitive and more, quote, spiritual vocation. Now, ambition is a good thing. But when we feel the pressure to achieve something in order to prove that somehow we are enough, then life can feel like a burden. And so if you've ever felt the pressure to achieve in sports, in music, art, work, a relationship, a family context, a community, some other sphere of life, then Jesus has some very good news for you today. As Janice read, let me also read the words of Jesus. These are his words of invitation to us. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Literally, I will rest you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's take a moment to look to the Lord in prayer again. Lord, as we were just singing, we ask that 
you would still our souls before you, that we might hear your voice even through these words that in your providence you allowed Matthew to remember. Help us to respond to this amazing, extraordinary, one-of-a-kind invitation. And as we do that, may we wear your yoke and may our lives be changed as a result. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. And so in this message, I want us to explore how we can live lives of achievement and contribution, but not out of this anxious sense that we need to somehow prove that we are enough, but out of a place of deep gratitude, rest, and peace that comes from knowing that we're already accepted, not just accepted, but cherished by the one who matters most. I want us to explore some spiritual practices that will help awaken us to a sense of God's love for us. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How? He says, by taking my yoke upon you. When Jesus uses the word yoke here, I hope it's obvious enough that Jesus is not referring to a yellow egg yolk. I actually had an egg for breakfast. Uh, to put an egg yolk on you or on me would be sort of messy. So that's obviously what, not what he's uh, referring to here. When Jesus uses the word yoke, he is referring to a wooden bar that is placed across the back of the neck of an ox, enabling it to more easily pull a heavy load. And so Jesus here is comparing you and me to an ox. It's not a very flattering comparison. If we're Canadian, maybe we prefer to be compared to a beaver. Maybe not, an industrious beaver. If you happen to be from America, maybe you prefer to be compared to a soaring eagle. But Jesus compares us neither to an industrious beaver nor to a soaring eagle, but to an ox. And that comparison is apt because like an ox, we can be weighted down by all kinds of concerns, all kinds of burdens and issues. Now, when Jesus' first century hearers, those original hearers of this message, first heard him, they would have felt weighted down by concerns like, will there be enough food to feed our family as they were living day to day in a subsistence agrarian economy? Those who were parents would have felt concerned for their children in a world where most newborns did not live to see the age of 20. And today we too carry concerns and burdens about finances. Well, we have enough. There's a lot of inflation out there, as you know. Um, we have concerns for our loved ones and their health and well-being. But today we carry a concern that would not have been felt as heavily by people in the first century world. We can feel the burden of whether we have achieved enough and whether we are enough. This burden would not have been felt as keenly by people in the first century world because their station in life was largely determined by the family they were born into and their social circumstances. But we live in a world where 
We can at least theoretically rise socially through education, through our profession, through some kind of achievement. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to advance. But what if in this world where we can, quote, move ahead, we don't become really successful? What if we don't become the people that others projected we would one day become or that we expected we would one day become? We can feel like a failure. We can feel like a loser. And so when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, he's also inviting those of us, myself included, who feel burdened because we feel like we need to achieve something, accomplish something, to feel like we're enough. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will rest you. Literally, I will, I will rest you. That's, that's it. Um, how? He says, by placing my yoke upon your shoulders. Now, some of you are saying, in order for me to rest, I, I, I don't need a yoke across my shoulders. I need a massage. I need to spend some time at the spa. Or as someone was saying earlier, as the weather turns from sort of balmy fall here in Toronto to more winter-like, I need a vacation in the Caribbean, or I need to join Jason. Do you know Jason's in Brazil right now? But Jesus says, no, if you want to rest deeply in your body and in your soul, you need to wear my yoke. Why? Because the yokes that you wear don't fit you very well. They chafe against the back of your neck, and they weigh you down. And some of the heaviest yokes we wear are the yokes of what we feel are other people's expectations of us, and maybe the heaviest yoke of all is the yoke of our own self-expectation. And we can get caught in us, or not us, but if-then thinking. We think, if only, maybe when we were younger, I can get admitted to the right school, then I'll feel good about myself. Or if only I can be hired by the right company, then I will feel better about me. Or if only I can finally buy a house here in Toronto, I'll feel all grown up. But according to Sean Acor, a psychologist who has taught at Harvard, this if-then kind of thinking cannot be supported by science because every time we achieve a goal, our brain moves the goalpost as to what success looks like. So let's say we get admitted to the school we really want to study at. We feel great in the moment, but then the goalpost moves. Now we've got to get good grades. Let's say we're hired by the company we really want to work for. Again, we feel elation in the moment, but then anxiety as the goalpost moves, and now we feel we've got to stand out in the company. We're finally able to buy a home. Feel great. But then the goalpost moves. Now we feel like we need to get a larger home or a home in a better neighborhood. If we're seeking to be enough through achievement, we'll never achieve enough. Our sense of being enough isn't something we achieve. It's something we receive. It's not something that we create for ourselves, but it's an identity conferred upon us by another. Have any of you seen the movie Cool Runnings by chance? 
I see some hands here, some hands here. Anyone in the choirs? Yeah, uh, so uh, a few of you. The movie Cool Runnings is loosely based on the true story of Jamaica, get this, attempting to field their first ever bobsledding team at the Winter Olympic Games in Calgary in 1988. And there's a scene in the movie where the coach, who's won two gold medals himself, walks into a room and he sees his star bobsledder, Darius, carefully studying the bobsled course. Darius feels the weight of the world on his shoulders because he thinks, if I can only win a gold medal at these Olympic Games, then people will finally respect me. The coach, who's won two gold medals, as I mentioned, walks into the room, sees the pressure that Darius is under, and looks at him and says, Darius, winning a gold medal is a wonderful thing. But if you're not enough without the gold medal, you will not be enough with it. And if we're not enough without whatever the gold medal represents to us, we will not be enough with it. Our sense of being enough is not something we achieve, it's something we receive. Jesus says, if you're burdened and heavy laden and weary, take my yoke upon you. Jesus is obviously using yoke as a metaphor, as a sign to something else. What is, metaphor, what is the metaphor pointing to? It's not clear in the text we read, and if a word in, in the Bible isn't immediately clear as you read it, sometimes looking back at the context helps you get a clue as to the meaning of the word. As we scroll back a few verses, we see that Jesus is praising his Father. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for you have revealed your truth not so much to the best and the brightest, but to children and those who approach you with the humility of a child. Jesus is just exalting in, celebrating the wonder of his Father's love for him and how the Father has revealed things to him. According to Bible teacher Daryl Johnson, the yoke that Jesus wants you and me to wear is the yoke that he himself wore. And the yoke that Jesus himself wore was the yoke of his father's unique love for him. And so the yoke that Jesus wants you to wear is the yoke of God the Father's unique love for you. And when you wear the yoke of the Father's love and affection for you, it may sound very simple, but it will literally change the way you move through the world. Uh, let me illustrate. Uh, years ago when I was single, I went to Japan to visit with a friend of mine who wanted to discuss something very personal. In fact, it was so personal, he arranged for us to get together on a semi-private island at a resort in Japan when you discuss something that's very personal and important you do it face to face in person you know not over phone or zoom and so we're, we're together and he's very open and it, during the conversation the name of his friend from university Sakiko comes up and I blurt out in a moment of transparency myself I've always liked liked her and my friend says oh really I 
I didn't know that. You should call her. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not here to socialize. He says, you, you should call her because she has such a good impression of you. She asks about you. Uh, she remembers you fondly. And I'm, I, 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 I'm not here to socialize. I don't know what to say but while he's you know, dialing her. And the phone is ringing. He hands the phone to me. Um, she, she actually answers, hello. I'm like, hello, hello. Um, uh, uh, this, is, this is Ken. And there's just silence on the other end of the line. And then she finally asks, are you the guy who went to Berkeley? I say, no, no, that was Jeff. <laughs> so she has no recollection of me whatsoever, no memory whatsoever of me at all. Uh, and then I, I say, um, do you want to go out for coffee with me on Wednesday? She says, no, I have plans. And then I say, I don't know what your plans are, but can you change them? Yeah, I, I don't know what came over me exactly. <laughs> um, and I didn't calculate this ahead of time. It was all spontaneous. But as I look back, in Japanese culture, it's very difficult to say no to a person, especially twice in a row. So all the Japanese cultural norms were working in my favor. So we went out for coffee. It didn't go very well. But then we got married. <laughs> uh, not right away, um, after a suitable time. But that's not the point of, 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 of the story. Now, most of us are meeting for the first time, so you wouldn't know this about me, but I have a fear of rejection, especially a fear of rejection in romantic pursuit. And so I look back and I wonder, how was it that I was able to put myself out like that for potential rejection, potential heartache? And I think at least part of the answer is that I was slowly learning to wear the yoke of the Father's love across my shoulders. And when we wear the yoke of the Father's love across our shoulders, it makes us a little bit more apt to take a risk, whether it's in a relationship or some other kind of venture. We're a little bit more buoyant. We're a little bit bolder. It's not that if we fail or are rejected, we're not hurt. But when we know that we're loved by the one who matters most, there's something about that that buffers us and makes us bolder, makes us stronger, makes us more courageous. So wearing the yoke of the Father's love changes the way we move through the world. And so I want to explore a few different practices that can help us wear the yoke of the Father's love across our shoulders. If you want to find out more, or read about all eight of them. I'm not going to go through all eight. As uh, Lori mentioned, um, you can find them in Survival Guide for the Soul, this book that I've written. Uh, all the proceeds from any book sales go to World Vision and to missions that work with vulnerable kids. Um, but the first practice that I want to talk about is, is meditation. I am a very easily distracted kind of person. At any given time, I can feel like there are 128 monkeys jumping around in my head. And so every morning, as I did this morning, I'll simply take some time to sit and breathe deeply, breathing in through my nose and then exhaling slowly. Breathing in deeply, exhaling slowly. And then I'll start to wonder, how much time has gone by anyway? How long have I been doing this? And so I'll reach for my phone, not to check messages, but to open up a free app called Centering Prayer with a timer. I'll set the timer to maybe 15 or 20 minutes, so I'm not thinking about the time. 
And then hit begin. And then a bell sounds as though I were in a monastery being summoned by a bell to pray. I continue to breathe in deeply. Exhale slowly. Breathe in deeply. Exhale slowly. And then I start to wonder about all the things I ought to be doing my to-do list. So instead I reach for my Bible and I choose a passage. And every time my mind wanders, I'll repeat the passage to myself or to God. Be still and know that God is God. Be still and know that God is God. Breathing in deeply, exhaling slowly. Let me change the scene for a moment. As Lori mentioned, I'm from Vancouver. And I love being on the water, as she also mentioned. I love to sail, love to kayak. I don't own a sailboat, but I have a friend who does. And there have been times when I've been out at sea and I've seen salmon jumping out of the water at a 45-degree angle. Earlier this month, I was out at sea and I saw a couple of pods of dolphins. There have been rare occasions where I've seen whales in the distance. And there are times when I'm seated in God's presence and I feel surrounded by the beautiful mystery that upholds the whole world and me. There have been times when I've been out at sea and I see a film of oil on the surface of the water or some empty Coke bottle bouncing up and down, bobbing up and down in the water. And there have been times when I've been in silent meditation, silent prayer in God's presence, and anxiety rises up within me, or a feeling of anger and resentment, or a feeling of envy surfaces. And I lift these up to God. They may come back, but I lift them up to God again, and I feel lighter and freer. And then at the end of the 15 or 20 minutes, The chime sounds, I open my eyes, and I almost always, at the end of this time, feel a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more centered, and a little bit more conscious of God's love for me. And so spending some time in silence and savoring God's presence is a way for us to wear the yoke of the Father's love across our shoulders. It's a survival habit of the soul. Another survival habit of the soul is a prayer of gratitude that I pray called the examine. Anyone familiar with the examine by chance? The Ignatian exercise? No? Okay. Anyone? Okay. Um, I see one hand over there. Um, it's a very simple prayer. It's not complicated. At the end of the day, for me, I will look back over the day, and this prayer of examine invites me to consider two or three things that I felt gratitude for that helped to connect me to God in some ways. It's very simple. And so if I were to do that right now, hmm, I would think, okay, so yesterday uh, after dinner, I was hoping to swim, but the pool at the place I'm staying at is, is closed. It has been since the pandemic. I don't really like the treadmill, 
but I decided to run on the treadmill instead and got a workout with just sweating like crazy, got my heart rate way up. And uh, afterwards, I just felt great. So I was thankful for that workout. And then I, I'm thankful for the connection I had from here in Toronto to Sakiko, to Joey, our adolescent son, our, our, our golden uh, Sasha, through just FaceTime was just a, a, a good connection. And I'm also really thankful to be with you. Uh, Jason speaks so highly of you as a community, as people. And so it's just a real privilege and joy to be with you. So real simple, the prayer of examine, the prayer of gratitude. But if we take time each day to thank God for two or three things that we're grateful for, again, this will change the way we experience life. Have you ever been in the market for a new set of shoes, new runners, a new car, a car that's new to you? You know what happened, right? Let's say, let's say you were thinking or are thinking about getting a Tesla. If you're thinking about it seriously, uh, or not so seriously, you start noticing Teslas everywhere. It's not like there are you know, more in your neighborhood. It's not like the dealers saying, uh, you're thinking about getting a Tesla, let me flood your neighborhood with Teslas. No, it's just that you're primed to think about them so you notice them more if you're thinking about going electric. And so it is when we prime ourselves with a simple Thanksgiving exercise, it will start to seem like more good things are coming into our life, though that might not actually be the case. And when we associate those good things, those good gifts with God's love for us, that is a way to wear the yoke of the Father's love across our shoulders. Prayers of gratitude are a survival habit of the soul. So silence, silent meditation, gratitude. And then finally, insofar as this message is concerned, another survival habit of the soul is the practice of Sabbath. Ideally, a 24-hour period where we're not working or doing anything related to our work. And keeping the Sabbath, honoring the Sabbath, is especially life-giving if you tend to be a workaholic. And you don't need to be of Asian ancestry to be a workaholic. You just need to be from Toronto. True? True. When we take time for Sabbath, one of the gifts of that practice is the reminder that our identity is not formed primarily for, by making bricks for Pharaoh, but our identity springs primarily from the glorious fact that we are a beloved daughter of God, that we are a beloved son of God. As Lori mentioned, we've got a, a son named Joey. He's an adolescent now. Um, you know, he's not especially productive. He, he likes to play and doesn't like to um, clean up his toys um, as I trip off the stage here. So, uh, um, so that's just to get everyone's attention on the live stream. <laughs> um, he doesn't make any money for our household economy. When he was in elementary school, I think he was in grade two, he was uh, with some rowdy boys and they were getting sent out of class from time to time. But we don't love our son Joey because he's productive, because he's making money for our household, or because he's doing really well at school or not so much. We love him simply because he's alive, because he has a pulse, because he's breathing. And when we embrace the Sabbath, we're reminded that we have value not because we produce or because of how we perform, how we deliver or not. 
we have value because of the simple glorious fact that we are a daughter of God. We are a son of God. And so Sabbath is a way of wearing the yoke of the Father's love across our shoulders. It is a survival habit of the soul. Let me uh, close with this story. Uh, when I was making the transition from the corporate world to the world of vocational ministry, I enrolled in something called the Arrow Leadership Program. It's a program to cultivate younger emerging Christian leaders, founded and led at the time by Leighton Ford, a Christian leader, Presbyterian minister, originally from here in Ontario, Toronto, in fact, uh, uh, an acquaintance, uh, Wes is acquainted with him, and the brother-in-law to the late Billy Graham. When the inaugural class of 25 first gathered in Charlotte, North Carolina, there were about 25 of us, and someone said, we're like fighter pilots in the movie Top Gun, the first Top Gun movie, not the most recent one. And I looked around and I thought, hmm, I think I'm the youngest one here. And I'm definitely the least experienced in so-called Christian ministry. So I was feeling insecure. And I felt like I needed to prove to Leighton Ford that he had not made a mistake in admitting me into the program. So I was trying really hard. There was one time in one of the classes where I raised my hand and was able to summarize an obscure book by an MIT professor. So it's sort of immodest, but um, I was trying really hard. But then I stumbled and fell as a young Christian leader. I, I failed in a number of ways. I got into a conflict with someone that I was working with because of my own emotional immaturity. And this is what I discovered in my failure, that Leighton Ford's acceptance of me was not dependent on my performance or my capacity to contribute to his organization. He simply loved me just because, just because and without condition. And that was so freeing, such a gift. And now, more than 25 years later, we have developed a deep friendship. I talked to him yesterday. It's his birthday today. And I feel more at home, more at home in my skin in his presence than ever before. I can laugh in his presence. I can cry in his presence. I can just be myself with him. And it's not that I no longer want to make something out of my life and ministry in part to honor his investment in me, but it no longer comes from this anxious place of insecurity where I am trying to somehow prove my worth to him comes from a place of gratitude and rest. And this is how I hope you experience your relationship with God. I hope and pray that you will know that you are loved without condition and that insofar as your life is concerned, including your life with God, that you will just go for it and give your very best but not out of an anxious need to prove that you are enough, but from a place of deep inner rest and gratitude that comes from knowing that you are already accepted, in fact, cherished by the one who matters most, by your creator. Let's pray together. I've been talking some about what it's like to be a daughter or son of God. If that's hard for you to connect to, hard to relate to. I want you to know that 2,000 years ago, the invisible God mysteriously became one of us, became a human being that first Christmas, was given the name Jesus, lived a perfect life, 
and then voluntarily laid down his life on a cross, absorbing our sin and shame so that we might be forgiven and freed. And if you want, you can turn to, to Jesus and say, I don't understand it all, but would you forgive my sins, cleanse me, and make me your child? And you can become a daughter of God, a son of God. Cleanse me from my sins and make me your child. And if you've prayed that or if you've already given your life to God, hear these words of Jesus as he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will rest you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And his is a yoke that will not weigh you down and burden you. But it is a yoke that will lift you up and free you. For it is a yoke of love. And so you can say, I receive your yoke, Jesus. Place the yoke of your father's love, of my father's love, upon my shoulders now. And may you live light and free as you are yoked by the Father's love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.